0: This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. If you're listening to our current Sunday morning series, Who Are We? We're going to be spending the majority of our time this morning in John chapter 10. Uh, John chapter 10, but we are also going to be looking at a couple of other passages of scripture. We started this series uh, a few weeks ago, and we'll probably go up through Christmas. Uh, just the idea of knowing who we are, being able to answer this question. If someone were to ask you, who are you from a spiritual standpoint, could you articulate who you are in Christ? I, I heard a preacher say one time about sharing your faith. Someone said, well, I don't know how to share my faith. Well, what you're basically doing is sharing with someone what has taken place to you. And if you can't explain that, we've got a problem, right? You're just explaining to someone what has happened to you. But when you think about it from the context of the world that we live in today, it is crucial that we understand who we are as believers. The, the terms that use, the way that people use terms differently and all that is taking place. We need to know who we are. And specifically, I think we need to know who we are as Baptists. We've been looking at Baptists. We are a Southern Baptist. And particularly, what does it mean as we looked at some of the historical things that took place many, many years ago across the Great Pond uh, when the Reformation started and Protestant churches began, and we began to see the growth of the Protestant churches, what we now see, baptist and Methodists and Lutheran and Presbyterian, all the, the churches that came out of that Reformation and then there was a group that became Baptist and it separated themselves from other churches. Now, here's the thing about it. We need to be real clear with this. There are going to be more in heaven than just Baptists, right? But, comma, we need to know why we go to the church we go to, what they believe, and, and I and remember I shared this to other, other, last Sunday night, it is okay to believe something that may be different what others believe, and to have conviction about it. I think we ought to be people of conviction. If we believe that we do something this way, why do we believe that? If we are a, a, you know, I tell people, if you're, a, go to the Methodist church and you know that you're Methodist, why are you Methodist? Why are you Presbyterian? Why are we Baptist? That is so important. As a pastor, one of the most discouraging things I can hear is when I hear—I I know something's going on. Then I hear about it. That happens a lot. And I know that someone's going to a church or something. You know, it'd be like a family member's going to a church, and I'm—I'm kind of concerned about it because I know about the church and its background. And then in talking to the parent, they may say, you know, they're going off to college. That'd be a good—they're off at college and they're at Lucy Goosey Church. And they're loosey-goosey because they're just loosey-goosey. And then the parent says, well, preacher, at least they're going somewhere. That is a horrible answer. Anybody can put church above a sign and call it a church. We need to know what a church believes and why they believe it. We need to know the, the convictions that they have. We need to know the convictions that we have. And so today we're going to look at a great Baptist distinctive, perseverance of the saints. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is a line in the sand for Baptists and others. If you were to take a, a list of all the different churches, the Eva, I would say all the people that are going to be in heaven together, all the churches that are going to be in heaven together, this is a very distinct line that separates a lot of churches. Once you are truly saved, can you, Lose your salvation. Baptists say no. I'll say that a little further. I believe. I have a conviction. Baptists believe and are correct. No. Because I believe Scripture plainly teaches that once you have truly given your life to Christ... God's not going to take that away from you. Could you imagine just singing the word? We could give the invitation round, matter of fact. Singing the words that he is able to save. I got tears in my eyes. I thought about having the little kids singing and sharing in the scripture and the word and seeing y'all singing. Yes, he is able to save. And then all of a sudden, he's going to change his mind. We were already dead in our trespasses and sin right amen but you know before you're saved you're dead in your trespasses and sin or he wouldn't have needed to die on the cross right amen so you're already dead in your trespasses and sin he died on the cross for your sins you call on the name of the Lord in repentance and faith and then you you're living your life over here and you do something wrong God's going to change his mind all of a sudden we were already dead have you ever thought about it that way there's some things in your bulletin I want you to, to look at. There's some statements and then some practical things, and, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time there. But I do want to read this definition for you. It's a definition of, it's not necessarily John's created his own statement of faith, but it is out of my own personal statement of faith of, of taking the Baptist faith and message and expounding on things. And it's just, if you were to ask me what are your personal convictions, I, would, I could hand you this. We as a church stand on the Baptist faith and message as presented by the Southern Baptist Convention. It's a great statement of faith, and this goes along with that. The definition of perseverance of the saints, eternal security, once saved, always saved. What it means that once you generally give your life to Christ, you cannot lose that salvation because it is God who gives us eternal life through Jesus Christ. Those who, and I emphasize, truly, that's the key, those who truly belong to Christ will not fall away, but will remain true to the faith to the end. Listen to that. Truly saved, hold truly to the faith to the end. And they are kept by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wayne Grudem, whose textbook is used in all of our Southern Baptist seminaries, along with other theological systematic theology, but notice what he says. The perseverance of the saints means that all those who are truly saved, he must have got that from me, the perseverance of the saints means that those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power, they will persevere as Christians until the end. Now listen to what he says. And that only those who persevere until the end have been truly born again. The idea is that they will remain to the end but Grudem adds that those that do remain to the end are truly saved and so what we are looking at is in like a lot of the things that we have talked about in, in these series there seems to always be an if or an and or we could say the extremes what are the extremes what what, where's the pendulum shift if I believe I can lose my salvation or if I believe I can never lose it? There, there's always these balances we need to consider, and we need to consider these. One is a life of no assurance. I, I shared a story a few weeks ago in a different setting. I don't remember what setting here, that she was part of a church that believed that you could lose your salvation. And she was part of a, the community we lived in in Indiana, and I don't even remember her name. I just remember I just the Lord just kept putting her in my path. And one time I would see her, and she is just walking with the Lord, and she is so excited, the next time I say, "Oh my God, I've lost the salvation. pray, pray that I'd get saved." Next time I'd see her, oh my goodness, I've gotten saved and I'm living for the Lord. Next time I'd say, oh, pray that I get saved. I thought, what a, and I didn't say it quite like this to her, but I did sit down with her, what a emotional roller coaster life that you have been saved, but now I've lost it. And I've been saved. And where her struggle was is that any little thing she did wrong, she would lose her salvation. And I used to try to explain to her, You don't understand the blood. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Quit nailing them back on the cross. We we just don't live our life of a, a roller coaster of up and down. But there's another extreme. And this is the extreme... In the Baptist church, we don't believe you can lose your salvation. We don't have up and down. But here's something we need to be very concerned about in the life of a Baptist church. And that is false assurance. I'll tell you a phone call I have. I had this many times. Different states, different regions, doesn't matter. Same thing. So going through a church roll. So I'm going through the church roll at another church. I was serving. And I was like, who? And I'm, I'm literally going, who are these people? Man, I, don't, I don't know their name. I've never seen their face. I'm asking other people. They don't know who they are. I'm like, who are these people? So I, I just literally went down the list, and I started calling people, good Baptist people. Then one young man in particular, I, I, I called him on the phone and said, hey, this, I'm the new pastor. I always love, that's a great reason. I'm the new pastor. Love for you to come worship with it. Well, I'm busy. I just, you know, when I have Sundays, Sundays are my day. And I just, I'm not, he was no longer going to come to church than the man on the moon's coming to church. And so I ask him, well, do you, can I ask you a simple question? You know, if you if you were standing before the Lord today and I ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you tell him? Well, I've been, I've been saved is what I'd tell him. I'm like, well, how do you know you've been saved? He said, because the pastor led me in a prayer, and he baptized me. And after he baptized me, he told me, once I'm saved, I can never lose my salvation, so I don't need to come to church because I've been saved. Ah! That's false assurance. That is, I'm going to just say this. I love you. You're here. It doesn't apply to you. I'm as Baptist as they come, and I love being Baptist because John the Baptist is in the Bible. That is an epidemic in a Baptist church. And I'm going to say, now I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me. We enable it. That makes sense when I say we enable it? Have you ever heard me say we enable somebody to do something? We enable it because we tell it. You're saved because you did something. You're saved because we don't. You remember we're Baptists. You can't lose your salvation. Turn if you will to Matthew seven twenty one. Stay in John ten. We're coming back there. Matthew seven twenty one. These words should hammer gospel truth in our life. They should cause us to bow in fear and trembling but also in an aspect of joy. Matthew 7. Now, here's the great thing about this. Who's talking in Matthew 7? Jesus is. Who died on the cross for sin? Jesus did. Who's coming back? Jesus is. Who are we standing before? Christ. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. On that day, many will say to me, how many is many? Many. That's sad. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord! And see here, don't miss this. They know who He is. They're even acknowledging His position. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name? Did we not cast out demons in Your name? Now I'm going to ask you this: Show of hands. Anybody cast out any demons this week? That's pretty powerful spiritual warfare stuff right there, isn't it? I mean, that, you know, you, you talk about spiritual gifts, demon caster outers, that's pretty good stuff right there. And that's a, we'll have a whole other sermon series on miraculous gifts and that thing. We're not talking about someone that just is, that we're, we're, someone is standing before the Lord that is very religious, very involved with religion, very involved with stuff. And we not do mighty works in your name. Then I will declare to them, I, Christ, never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Can you wrap your mind around that? That Christ is standing before someone that acknowledges that he is Jesus and that is busy doing Jesus' things but doesn't know him. What is the litmus test for Christ if we really know him? We're going to do the will of the Father. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. James chapter chapter 2. I'm going to begin there in verse 17, but you see that whole section there is a great section. Write that down and read that later. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So Jesus is saying that there's got to be something in your life that you are seeking after the will of the Father. As a believer, there's a desire to want to be different, to want to live different, you've been born again the bible says that we're a new creation christ says that is that is if you doing that if you're living out the will of the father james calls it works works makes us a little nervous because we know by grace through faith we are saved not of works. So works do not save us. To me, works are the things that we're trying to do. Works is that man or woman standing before Jesus saying, I did these things. That is works. But what James is talking about is more like a fruit. You have faith. I have works. But someone So also faith by itself is not have works is dead. Verse 17, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith. I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The demons have great understanding of who Christ is and His Lordship. They're just not living up under it. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is, and the ESV translates that, useless. If you have faith and and your life is not changed, that's worthless, it's useless. Look at verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is what? Dead. If we take those two verses and we we sit here, there's not a soul in this room, if you're listening, that you're not going, man, this is serious business. Assurance is serious business. I need to believe something, but I've got to believe the right something. I've got to believe something that's going to change my life. I've got to believe something because it's not just my head. It involves my heart. And with my heart, it involves the way I live my life. And I would say, you betcha. I think in our zeal for evangelism, we have just created this idea that just believe and that's enough. So we have these twos extreme. We have a, a life of no assurance that we're back and forth, but we have a life of false assurance, and I would call that in, in kind of churchy words, a life of easy believism. I believe something, and I've been told that I'm Baptist, and we can never lose that. And so just because I believe something, that something is true, then I'm secure forever. That is false assurance. Because when we stand before the Lord, it's not going to be by our works that we're judged. It's by the fruits of our life. And Scripture is full of that. That a changed man and woman and a changed boy and a girl is a changed man and woman and a changed boy and a girl. So before we get to John 10, what do we do? When you look at, let's just say, me, for instance, I'm a shepherd of the church. And the word pastor is shepherd. And we care for the flock. And I've shared this different stories time and time again. One person comes forward and they are just weeping and they are wailing. And that's just, you're just, preachers love that, by the way. Just. And you look at that and you're like, yes, pastor, I want to be saved. Oh, by the blood of the Lamb. You talk with him, and Matt talked with him. We lay hands on him, and just, we baptize them. Never see him again. You think, you call him, hey, we got you on video crying at the altar. It looked look real. Well, I just, you know, I work all day and I just, you know, I I went, you know, somebody didn't say hello to me. I'm never coming back again. It was kind of hot in there. I didn't like the music. It was too short, too long. I'm safe and secure. Remember what you told me? I'm like, gosh, every now and then it might be handy to be Methodist and we didn't believe that. That's a joke. (laughs) Methodists believe you can lose your salvation. I had a great relationship with Assembly of God pastor in, in Florida, and we we'd get together and play softball together. And I remember asking him, I said, "How in the world can you believe you can lose your salvation? Assembly of God believes you can lose your salvation. How do you be, how do you believe you can lose your salvation?" He said, "Have you seen all the Baptists in this town?" Good point. <laughs> he said, "Something's happened." And then, one true story has happened over and over. I, I give the invitation. This man gets, always. I think of this one man in particular. This, this man got up. And been coming. I like it. Want to get saved and baptized, get everything in order. And in my mind, I'm thinking, he's just checking the boxes. Wife's been nagging him. You need to get baptized. You need to know you're going to heaven. You need to know. I just want to get saved today. Hallelujah, the blood of the Lamb has redeemed me forever and ever. And I'm going, this guy doesn't have a clue. And so sit down with him. I talk with him. I counsel with him. We pray over him. We, we walk through that. He followed through a baptism, never shows a bunch of emotion, never misses a service. Wife came up to me a month later and said, that man has been born again. I said, what do you mean? He goes, he is the tightest human being with his money his entire life. I can't even buy, she told me, I can't even buy a new dish rag. And she looked at me in tears in her eyes and said, he is tithing over 10%. Well, he got it. What am I to do? Wouldn't it be kind of cool if we had conversion glasses? I would be the only one that could have them because you'd be judging everybody. And everybody be going, why is John always staring on that corner of the room over there? Well, let's just say, now I know why everybody sits in the balcony, but I can still see. But we can't. How many of you write down, I could fill out a whole list. You've got a family. I I told somebody the other day, my father has done everything. Everything humanly possible you could ever do to demonstrate your belief in Christ. He has walked an aisle. He has wept. He has done everything you need to do. And I will tell you, based on today, there's not one shred of fruit in his life that I could observe today that I could say emphatically, if I was doing his funeral, he's with the Lord. That is heartbreaking the worst thing I could do is say, well, he's okay. What if he's not okay? What if he's just made an emotional decision that he knew was just an emotional decision to get out of hell free card? You ever heard of those? I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to believe in Jesus. I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to be bad. Listen, there's, more, there's a lot more to it than not going to hell. It's about understanding who Christ is in your life, and you are basically saying it is no longer me, but it is all about Him. And I believe on Him. I'm coming to Him. I'm trusting in Him. I'm living for Him, and I'm following after Him. And I, here's a great way to explain it: When I look at people, and i because here's here's what got me to this point. Here's what got me down this little trail. What am I to do? I don't have conversion glasses. All I can do is observe. As a shepherd, and I look over the sheepfold. This is welcome to my mind. I'm looking over the sheepfold. Who loves the things that Jesus loves? Who loves the shepherd? Who's in the sheepfold? That's all I can go by. Not a a, a church list. Not what you've done, not, well, I, I love the Lord because I'm on the old book. There's an old book. I'm going to pull that thing out one day. It's not the Lamb's book of life, but it's our book. It's not based on what somebody tells me and not based on what the, it's by looking out and seeing a life of somebody that has repented, which is to turn from and place their faith, which is turned to, and they're following Christ. And here's a basic question. Write this down. Do I love the things that Jesus loves? You could be sitting here today and you're coming to church just because good moral people come to church. If you're coming to church and you're not doing it because you're worshiping the Lord and you love the Lord and you love His church and you love His Word, I would say you need to check your heart. Do you love the things that Jesus Christ loves? Some of the greatest opportunities that I have for ministry is, and you're going to say this is silly, a funeral of someone that I knew loved the things that Jesus loved. That is church, by the way. That is a celebration of life. You know, I don't know where somebody is, but I know the life they live this side of heaven. Don't leave here not knowing. You know, this was not a message to bash people that we don't think or say. That is not our job. That is not our right. But I do think we stand on the authority of God's word, and we have to tell ourselves there's going to be many people stand before Christ, and he's going to say, I never knew you. We know as Baptists it is a personal relationship with Christ. It's not about being part of the church. It's being part of the church and part of the body through our profession of faith in Jesus Christ. He knows me because I have repented of my sin and placed my faith in Christ. And I have a desire to live out the things of the gospel. Now turn to John 10. Because I'm going to tell you, if you are born again, there's no greater place to be. I can't imagine thinking I could lose my salvation. I couldn't sing a hymn. I couldn't worship. I couldn't do it. Just the idea of knowing that I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and that He is my great shepherd and what it means to have that. And that's what makes the perseverance of the saints so wonderful. I am His. It's the idea we will live out the Christian life. We can live out the Christian life. Anybody ever had a a time of wandering in their life? I had a season of disobedience in my life. But I know that before that disobedience, I repented of my sin, and I placed my faith in Christ. I'll go out on a pastoral limb and I, I think I can back it up by the authority of Scripture. If someone has said something and they have a period of disobedience in their life, if they never come back, I think it's a great indication they never knew Him. Somebody might say, well, Explain that. I I tell people, I like to have fun. Not just have fun in Jesus' name. When the lights were off, the crowds were gone, the party was over, I was a miserable little wretch because I was a child of God wandering from the Father. And He loved me enough to continue to... Convict me with the Spirit and to show me how far I had gotten from Him. From a practical standpoint, could you imagine having a child? Now, you ever heard of tough love? That's one of the things we need to be aware of, tough love. May not approve of what you're doing, but I love you. And no matter what that child would do, because he's my child, guess what he'll always be? My child. When we enter into a relationship with our Heavenly Father, he is our Heavenly Father. John chapter 10. These are great words of encouragement. If you know someone that is struggling with their assurance, I tell you, if you know someone that is struggling with where they are in Christ, get them to read 1 John, the entire book of 1 John. And it's the test of fellowship, the test of assurance. Do I love these things? Am I living out these things? Are these principles real in my life? And God will take His Word and the Spirit of God and convict them greatly. That is 1 John. If someone is struggling with whether or not they can lose their salvation, take them to John chapter 10. That's where we are this morning. John chapter 10, verse 22. John chapter 10, verse 22. At the time of the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews, that's important now, remember that in just a moment. So the Jews... Not his disciples, his Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? They were almost being sarcastic. If you are the Christ, show us. Tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, but you do not believe. See, they didn't believe he was who he said he was. They're the ones that nailed him to the cross. He he kept saying, I am the great I am. I am who that I say that I am, but the Jews did not believe in Jesus. I keep telling you, but you don't believe it. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Verse 26, you do not believe because what? You're not part of the flock. I think that's one of the dangers that we are in our world today. What we have done is we have the gospel, the biblical gospel. God's holiness, my sinfulness, Christ's redemption, our response, His Lordship. You could unpack that in different ways, but those are the elements of the gospel. This is what we've done. People don't want to hear that anymore, Pastor. Pastor. You cannot start telling people that they're sinners. You cannot tell them that they're dead. They don't want to hear it. And I'm going, I know they don't want to hear it. And they look at me like, what? They didn't want to hear it when Jesus told it. We're not after the ears. We're after the heart. I didn't want to hear it at a point in my life. But thankfully, the preacher kept preaching it. Then I heard it, and I responded to it, and I was saved. The worst thing that we could do with the gospel is to water it down and to change it so people will like it. I don't want them to like the gospel. I want them to understand it and embrace it and allow them to change their life. If we take the Word of God and water it down to where everybody likes it, we're denying the authority of the word and the gospel. Does that make sense? Jesus didn't come and say, Well, now, I'm really the Messiah, but okay, this is what I need. No, he said, I'm the Messiah, I am coming, I'm dying on the cross, I'm a suffering servant, and this is the way it is. We don't want we don't believe that. Doesn't matter, it's the way it is. Until God does His part, which I have no control over, they're not going to hear it. What I have control over is my part, proclaiming the gospel passionately and clearly and lovingly so they can respond to it. They didn't believe it. You don't believe because you're not part of my flock. Verse 27, for those that are saved, listen to this. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will what? Never what? Perish. Once I enter into that relationship with Christ, I will never perish. I can remember being in the basement of a bank. I don't know why I was in the basement of a bank, but I remember being in the basement of a bank with a youth group watching the end times video. Scared me to death. And I remember just being scared to death. And I remember thinking, oh, "What if that takes place?" And there's that and the other. And you know, I come home and I had a good friend. He was, he had been out participating of a drink a good Christian person should not be participating in. And he came home, true story. And his dad was there, who was also participating of the same drink. And he was a mama's boy. And he asked his daddy, "Where's mama?" Hadn't seen her all day. He goes, well, where's Mama? I mean, he's in his, like, teens. Where's Mama? Bryce is still that way, and he's here today. He came in the other night. Where's Mama? Why does nobody want to know where I am when they come in the house? Where's Mama? I don't know. I'm here. I don't know. Where's Mama? So he came in. Where's Mama? I had not seen her all day. And he said, for the, it's funny now. He said, but for the strangest reason, I thought, what if Mama's been raptured? So he asked his daddy, Where's my aunt? I hadn't seen her all day either. he started, true story, to know this guy is hilarious. He started like calling people. Didn't have so, I'm so old, we didn't have cell phones back then. Everybody he knew as a believer did not answer their phone. And he said, All I could do is just stand there and go, I've missed it. And he said, I just went into bed and just cried myself to sleep in just absolute fear because I thought the rapture had taken place. And he said this, and the only two people left are me and my drunk daddy. That's fear. I don't know how the end times works out. I can read in Revelation, it's going to be bad, I can tell you that. I don't care how bad it gets. I mean, they they could come over here with machetes and start hacking all believers to death in national live TV. I'm okay with that. I don't want to go through it, but I'm okay with it. I'm His. I'll never perish. Christians, although the only apostle that died of natural causes was John, and I always say this jokingly, somebody had to write Revelation. We may die, we may get, cancer and die we may be sick we may all kinds of terrible things could happen to me that's this side of heaven I'm okay with that I don't want to go through it I will never perish I am a child of God it goes on to say no one will snatch him out of my hand my father now what does no one mean So I'm living for the Lord and all of a sudden here comes the devil and all his little minions and the creepy little spiritual warfare thing comes around and I'm in my house and this demon of unnamed sources snatches me out of my house and the house is under bondage and Sharon and Matt and everybody's coming over there trying to name the demon and figure out where I went. Does that make sense? Makes a great book, but it doesn't make sense. Devil knocks on the front door. Hey, come with me. (laughs) I'm with him. He done whooped you with a big ugly stick. I saw that on a t-shirt one time. I thought that was pretty cool. The big ugly stick is the cross. Nobody will snatch me out of the Father's hand. It's like a, a godly arrogance. I'm his. I don't even worry about it. My Father who has given it to me is greater than all. Who's greater than all? My Father is. No one is able to snatch him out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Let's go back through John 10 very quickly. Number one, if you have repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ and you know that you're a believer. Now, I, know, I understand this. Matt and I were discussing the, the sermon this week. People are different. I've got a good friend that's a godly man that's a pastor. Jokingly, he would say, every time I watched Billy Graham, I'd pray the sinner's prayer again, just to be sure. And I'd make fun of him and say, well, just deal with it. Get over it. Some people just think a little bit too much. Some people don't think enough. I'm probably on the not think enough side. Do you know you're saved? No, I'm saved. No no, no doubt in my mind. What about the decade of the 80s? Were you saved then? I know I was saved then. I was rebellious and disobedient, but I know I was saved because I know I did when I was 12. I know what I did back then. But there may be others going, oh my goodness, but what if I didn't do it right? You know, quit worrying. I understand some people worry. I'm not saying don't worry. Just rest in Scripture. If you have repented of your sin, place your faith in Christ, you have a desire to live for Christ, you love the thing that the Lord loves, and you have a desire to live for your Father, to please Him, to make a difference for His kingdom, you understand what it means to be saved. Rest in Scripture. We, number one, we are his sheep. Verse 27. John 6.39. You stay here, I'll read that. You get wandered, I'll never get you back. John six thirty nine. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing at all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Kind of silly, but think about it this way. Jesus is saying, I haven't lost anything that God's given me. It goes on to say a little bit before that all that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out. That's verse 37. So here's just a silly human way of thinking. I'm Jesus. God gives John back to Jesus. John repents of his sin, places faith in Jesus Christ as Lord of his Savior, and living, following, loving. Jesus goes up, you know, I come up to heaven, and I die, and God says, where's John? Jesus goes, you know, I laid him down somewhere. Oops. I mean, really? Jesus said, hey, those that the Father give me, am I going to lose them? They're mine. And when we come before the presence of our Father, we're coming through Christ and what Christ has done for us. I am his. There's no way that this he's going to just like lose me. He is the great shepherd. God always provides a means to lead his people. Moses, prophets, disciples, apostles, Jesus. What is Jesus head of today? The church. I don't think this is a stretch. The church is here as God's instrument to empower, to fill us with the Holy Spirit and the Word. We've got the Spirit amongst us. We're preaching the Word. We're singing the Word. We're fellowshipping the Word. The church is the instrument by which God is using to manifest Himself to the glory and the the kingdom. you You think about the importance of the church. Can a blood bought, redeemed child of God not love that which He is the head of? I will go a little step further. I believe if you are born again, there's going to be a natural spirit indication that you are led to the church. That makes sense. Because that's where Christ is the head of. Just as the disciples dropped the nets and followed Christ, there's going to be that desire. And so as a pastor, it's so frustrating. It's like I'm making that call to somebody. We'd really like for you to come to church. If you come this week, we'll give you a donut. And you can sit wherever you want to sit. And I won't preach long. And, I, and you can go to this and you can go to that. Nah. And you're like, gosh, it was so close. Almost, almost had them. Maybe we'll call them again at Christmas when we're doing the cantata. People love a cantata. We do, don't we? Hey, we got the. You know, it's like we've got to trick them into getting, it, trick them to come to church. I'm tired of tricking people to come to church. I heard Johnny Hunt, they're my favorite preacher. I used to beg people to come to Christ, and then I realized it is an honor to come to Christ. I'm tired of begging somebody to do something they ought to have an honor to do. If I can keep this boldness till Monday, I'm going to make some phone calls first thing. Deacons, get ready. You're going to get a lot of phone calls this week. Yeah, I'm not. It is an honor to be part of the church. Because we're Christ. Verse 27, verse 27b, we hear his voice and follow. Notice the positive there. I know that he is my shepherd. The positive is this he's leading me. I know that I'm not in this alone. I've got the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the people of God. I'm not alone. That is great hum- comfort and assurance. I know that I will hear His voice because Christ abides in me and I have the Spirit of God and the Word of God. I'm not going to be alone. I can hear His voice. I can follow Him through the Spirit. That is a great encouragement to somebody. You're not alone. You never were alone. Verse 28, I Give them eternal life. It is Christ himself that gives eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. We sing about that. Thank you for eternal life. Somebody says, I have a hard time with a quiet time. You're not looking at it right getting up in the morning going before you go to bed whenever you do it spending time in the prayer spending time in the word spending time alone it's you and Christ you're in the you and God are together i mean nothing else just thanking him for who you are and thanking him for his presence in your life verse 28 number the second part of verse 28 i will never perish verse 27 where is sheep Verse 27, we hear his voice. Verse 28, he gives eternal life. Verse 28, we will never perish. Who says? Jesus says, We'll never perish. I don't know how the end times works out. I don't. I think we ought to be able to study and know. I don't just say that flippantly. Doesn't matter. It does matter. It does matter. Oh, it really does matter. But I'll never perish. I'll never perish this side of heaven. I'm certainly not going to perish that side of heaven. Disease, death, whatever would happen this side of heaven, I'm never going to perish. I die and go into His presence. At His return, the graves open up. I receive my glorified body. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? I'll never perish. Verse 28, no one will snatch them out of my hand. John 6, 37, I will never cast them out. Why do we believe you cannot lose your salvation? Because I think Jesus believed it. We are in the hand of God. Do you remember... Colossians 3 3. I'm going to read this. We'll close with this thought. Remember when we walked through Colossians a few months ago? Colossians 3 3. For you have died. And your life, Colossians 3.3, 3, you have died. And your life is hidden. In, with Christ in God. You have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You know that we are in Christ. We are in the hand of the Father. I'm going to ask you to do something. I don't normally do this. I want you to bow your head. And I'm going to pray in just a second. I don't want you looking at me. I don't want you, we're not going to do an invitation this way. I, just want, to, I want you to bow your head and, and I want you to think. Without a shadow of a doubt, you know that you're a child of God. It's not about a decision. It's not about anything. Do you love God and the things of God? Here was my conviction this week. What about so many people? that I want to be saved. They tell me they're saved, but I see no fruit. We need to do a better job sharing the gospel and instead of enabling a false assurance. Lord, as we close our time of preaching but enter into a time of singing, I pray that your spirit will open up the eyes so that we may truly see. I pray, Lord, that we have an excitement and joy about our assurance of salvation, that we know, based on the authority of your word in John chapter 10, that you are our great shepherd. Lord, I pray that we also begin to understand the importance of getting the gospel right that we get conversion right, that we get assurance right. Literally, hell is in the balance. And I think sometimes, Lord, in our zeal for evangelism and for decisions, that we've turned the gospel into some aspect of easy believism and facts. As we sing and close our time of worship, convict us of the power of the gospel, the preciousness of your blood. And Lord, if there is anyone here today that needs to know and to discuss their eternal security and their assurance, Lord, I pray today would be the day that they would step out in faith and realize that the day is the day of their salvation and this we pray in Christ's name amen